I wonder how you are doing with Lent, uh, what things you've maybe taken up for Lent, or maybe some of the things that you've given up for Lent. I wonder how, it's do, how you're doing without the chocolate, or the sugar, or the coffee, or whatever it is, as you go through uh, your <coughs> holding stuff out and taking stuff out for Lent. It's an interesting time, but it's a great time as we focus our attention on the cross. It's a great reminder of all that Jesus has done. It's a great reminder to come back to the center of what our faith is all about. The cross, to me, is like the Jenga block when you play the game Jenga. And it's that one block that if you knock that piece out, you know that it's all going to fall down. It, like, it all hangs on that one block. And no matter what technique you've got, it doesn't matter if you flick it or you push it, or you jab it, whatever it is. But if you take that out, the whole Jenga tower is going to fall. The cross is like that. It's the thing that everything hangs on. It's the centerpiece. It's the cornerstone. It's the thing that our faith is centered around. It's why the Apostle Paul says, look, if Jesus hasn't died, if he hasn't been raised from the dead, our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. As followers of Jesus, we want to demonstrate the cross and the power of the cross and the freedom the cross brings to our lives, to our work colleagues, our friends. We want to live as free people, people who have been freed from sin, free to live uh, as followers of Jesus in the world that he's placed us. So I'm excited about Lent, I'm excited about Holy Week, I'm excited about Easter because it's a real moment of focusing us in on the cross. And it's great that we are doing these things uh, over Lent, like the open workshop that Libby mentioned. This is a great, great opportunity. Let me just speak to this a little bit because as a community, as a group of people, we have this opportunity to collectively and creatively get our hands dirty and make and create something so visual that is at the heart and the center of what we believe. The idea is that we make this massive eight-foot cross, this big wooden cross that you just can't ignore. And we all kind of work away at building it, work colleagues, flatmates, friends, students, whatever it is, with our power tools and being taught and being mentored and all that stuff and doing it, but making something that is incredible, this amazing symbolic picture of love. I love that we are doing it. I love that Stuart is opening that up for us to do that. During Holy Week as well, Josh Gilbert and I are going to be taking this massive cross out into the city of Edinburgh. And we're going to be carrying this cross out. And we're going to be placing it in iconic places around the city and taking photographs of the cross as people walk past on Princess Street, as people sit down by it, as we engage in conversations around the cross, as we hand out invites and flies to say, hey, look, this is going to be in the middle of our church. Come and experience this art installation as we look at the cross, as we journey around uh, towards Easter as well. It's going to be an incredible art installation, all themed around the cross, all looking at what does it mean to be loved? What does life and death look like through the Christian perspective? There's going to be an opportunity for people to gather around the cross, and whether they've never done it before or not, this opportunity to draw and sketch the cross in charcoal or paints or pencil. People come in, your work colleagues, the plus ones, during their lunch break, after work as well, coming in all gathered around the cross with art easels and paper and sketchbooks. And the idea is that they can experience the cross 
they can draw the cross, they can uh, sketch it. We're going to have figures of people standing around the cross, fully clothed, because it would be awkward if not, with life drawing, you know, people just posing by the cross, standing under the cross and sketching the people around the cross. The idea is that they can take that artwork back to their workplace. They can take that artwork back to their homes. They can bring the cross back into their home as they journey around it. It's an amazing opportunity. So I love Holy Week, the focus that it's going to bring. Because sometimes, and let's be honest, life gets so busy, church gets so busy, and we do so many amazing good stuff that we can forget about the cross. Sometimes all the stuff that we're involved in clouds out the cross, and it crowds out the cross But we want to pull that back and we want to look at the cross and focus on the cross, the freedom that it brings, the grace that it offers. I'm reminded of a story that um, I read. It's found in the book, No Wonder They Call Him Saviour. It's a pastor, a guy called Max Lucado. He's an author and a pastor as well. He, He writes this. This is a small extract from the book. Max was asked to go out for a coffee with a young guy called Ian, and Ian had a whole lot of questions. It's kind of like he reached the end of the line with, with, with religion and faith and so on. So he's taken this pastor of this church out and he's going to grill him with a whole load of questions. So he sits down over coffee and he says this to the pastor. I just want to know what counts. Don't talk to me of religion. I've been down that road. And please stay off theology. I've got a degree in that. Get to the heart of it. I want to know what counts. I wanted to go into ministry, he said. I took all the courses, the theology, the languages, but I quit. Something just didn't click. It's in there somewhere, at least I think it is. Max Lucado says this, I looked up from my coffee as he began to stir his. Then he summarized his frustration with this one question. What really matters? What counts? Tell me. Skip the periphery. Go to the essence. Tell me the part that really matters. The part that really matters. Pastor looked, the pastor looked at him for a long time and the question just hung in the air. What should I have said? What could I have said? I could have told him about the church. I could have said something like the classic, like Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd. But somehow that seemed too small. Maybe some clever thought or the golden rule, but no. Ian wanted the treasure. Don't give me religion, he said. Give me what matters. Well, what does matter? In all the thousand or so pages of the Bible, what matters? Amongst all the do's and the don'ts, the shoulds and the shouldn'ts, what's essential? Is anything indispensable? The Old, the New Testament, grace, baptism? And what would you have said to Ian? What would you have told him when he asked, what really matters? Is this all that there is? Sunday attendance, current songs, faithful tidings, golden crosses, good talks, fairy lights, and nice coffee. It's nice, but where's the heart of it? I had no answer. With all my verses neatly memorized, summarized, they just seemed inappropriate. Yet, years later... I know what I would have said. The Apostle Paul describes what is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to Scriptures, that he was buried and raised on the third day in accordance to Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and the Twelve. There it is. It's almost too simple, isn't it? 
that Jesus was killed, buried, and resurrected. Surprised? The part that really matters is the cross. No more, no less. According to the Apostle Paul, the cross is what really counts. This amazing piece of wood. History has idolized it and despised it, gold-plated it and burnt it. They've worn it and they've trashed it. History has done everything to it, but ignore it. You can't ignore a piece of wood that suspends the greatest claim in history. No wonder the Apostle Paul says it's the core of the gospel. The bottom line is sobering. If the account is true, it's history's hinge. If it's not, it's history's hoax. That's why the cross is what really matters. In the text that we've just read out, the Apostle Paul's basically saying the same thing. He's writing to this, the people in Galatians. He's, the Galatians letter here, the people in Galatia, he's saying, look guys, it's the cross that really matters. In all of this, it's the cross. Get back to the cross. Like, I see that you've moved towards doing these things and, and following the laws, observing the laws. You're adding on things that's not needed. Get back to the cross. The cross, the cross, the cross. It's about the cross. And you see it in the text. The Apostle Paul is almost pleading with them. He's crying out to him. He's guys, guys, I've, what's happened? Are you so foolish that you've moved away from the cross? Like, if you could achieve salvation, if you could achieve being justified, if you could achieve righteousness... What's the point of the cross? Like Jesus didn't even need to die. If you could do this in your own efforts, in your own strengths, by circumcision, by the food that you eat, by observing the law, if you could do that yourself, then we didn't need Jesus to die. But the Apostle Paul is pointing them back to the cross and he's saying it's the cross, it's the cross, it's the cross. Look at the cross. Don't let even the good stuff that you do cloud out the reality of the cross and the grace and the freedom from all that stuff that it provides and it brings. See, Paul's freedom was a freedom that was free from all the stuff that he felt he needed to do to achieve righteousness with God. And the point is, he's never going to do it. We're never going to do it. We're never going to follow the Ten Commandments 100% of the time perfectly. These guys weren't going to observe all the laws, the religious laws. They weren't going to get it right 100% of the time. It's just that's the point. We need Jesus. That's the whole point. It's like Jesus knows, God knows you're not going to do that. Guys, you're just not going to make it. No matter how good you are, no matter how uh, close you stick to it, you're never going to be able to work your way up to the point. That's why I came down. It's about grace. It's not about working your way up. It's about me coming down to where you are. It's a free gift. It's a gift, gift of grace. Paul's freedom was a freedom that was new to him. He talks about this. He talks about his new life. He says, the new life that I now have is because of the cross. He says, it's a life that he now lives is a life by faith, not by the good works. Let's contrast this then. There's an image of, of how the Galatians' freedom and what their freedom might look like. This is what Paul was saying, I live now um, in the body. I live by faith, by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the life that Paul lives. But let's contrast it to the life of the Galatians now, the freedom that they think they have. Because it's not really freedom, and actually it looks a bit more like slavery. They have the key in their hands. They have the key, which is the cross. 
Paul's saying, look, Jesus has done everything on the cross. You don't need to add anything to it. You don't need to do all this stuff. Like the cross is enough. My grace is enough. Look what Jesus has done on the cross. It's complete. It's, it's finalized. It's done. You don't need to do all these things to impress me, to get to the point where I can see you, I love you, or I accept you. Jesus has done it all. But these guys that Paul's writing to you, He's saying, you've gone backwards. You've gone backwards. Like you started off by believing in the cross. You started off by accepting this free gift of grace, but you've gone backwards. The Apostle Paul says uh, in his text to them, he says that you once lived like this. You once lived in a free place, but now it's as if you've gone backwards. You've returned to the things of the, uh, the observing the laws and having to add on all these things. They've returned to being enslaved by hopelessly trying to perfectly follow the law in order to be in right with God. But it's about putting faith in Jesus and the cross, receiving the, ga- the grace that it provides, and not striving to be seen or to earn righteousness. Jesus has done it all. When you read around the text on this and you read, some of the commentaries. There's a great um, summary of um, what they were doing and what they believed uh, in, in the text here. And this is what it says. It says that they have adopted the view that circumcision and works of the law are also necessary for justification. They've basically enslaved themselves. They've said the, cro- the cross isn't enough. Like Jesus has done that, but I still need to do something, don't I? And they're building this ladder to try and get to God, to try and justify themselves. And they're trying to follow these laws and rituals and so on and, and being circumcised. And, and they realize, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this in order to be made right with God. The Apostle Paul's challenging it. And he's saying, guys, no, Jesus died for you. If you have to do all this, then Jesus died for nothing but it's by faith and it's through faith and it's by grace as well the cross frees us from striving to save ourselves the cross frees us from trying to save ourselves when Jesus alone is the one who can bring the freedom Jesus is the only one who can bring salvation Jesus is the one who can rescue he alone can rescue he alone can save what might this look like then for us For the Galatians, basically, they'd gone back to these rituals, as I said, they'd gone back to observing the law, they'd gone back to trying hard to impress God and to be made right with God in their own efforts, in their own strengths. But what might it look like for us? Well, it might look like a whole load of things. It might look like a whole load of things that we do in our lives that we think we need to do to be made right with God, to justify who we are, to justify our existence, to be seen, to be noticed by others or by God. It might look like trying to strive to do a whole lot of right things and good things in order to be accepted. That's not freedom, that's slavery. That's being enslaved to try and impress and to be made right and to be seen like you're doing the right thing in order to be loved and in order to be seen by those around and by seen by God. For me, it really looked like something like this, doing good stuff and trying to get God's attention. I remember when I was an intern uh, out in New York, and I went out into New York to uh, train with the children's ministry, and it was really exciting, and it was really great, and I went out on September the 1st, 2001, and I was an intern in one of the largest Sunday schools in the world. 
There was 20,000 children each week at the Sunday school, 60,000 children over Christmas. It was an amazing thing to be part of. And it was like, this is good stuff. This is amazing. Oh, me and God, like, we're like this. We must be best friends. God, have you seen the stuff that I'm doing? This is amazing, isn't it? Do you know how good I am at, at teaching and preaching? Do you know how I, I kind of was with this kid and I kind of really helped this kid? God, you must see me now. Like, this is amazing, isn't it? I went out on September the 1st, 2001, so I was there for 10 days, and then I watched the tw- uh, World Trade Center fall down and collapse. So standing on my office uh, roof in front of me, I'm just watching the World Trade Center collapse. So, so September the 12th, we go down into Ground Zero, and we're ministering to the, to the policemen and to the firemen, and we're praying for them, and we're doing prayer circles, and we're doing some amazing good ministry stuff, and it felt great, and it was absolutely brilliant in the largest Sunday school in the world, and it was all really excited in New York City. And then just to add to my ego, there was a film crew from London that was out there filming it all and making a documentary, and they decided to choose me, the only English male intern doing the internship, so they followed me around. So I've got this camera following me around everything, everywhere I went, and it was great, and I was like, me and God, like, you know, we're like this, best buddies, you know, we're so close with God. The problem was, when that finished, and when I left, and when I returned to the UK, there was no film crew, there was no people cheering me on, there was no lots of children, there was no big stage, there was no people patting on me on the back. I felt invisible. I was like, God, where are you? Like, like I'm, I'm still here, I'm like, hello, God, like, you remember me? Remember like, all the good stuff I was doing? God, can, can, God, where are you? And I returned to Cheltenham, south of, of, of England, and Katie was doing a discipleship year, and she was being mentored, and I signed on for Job Seekers Allowance. Katie was being trained and had a whole lot of ministry stuff happening, and I was working in a pub. And I was like, God, I I don't even feel like you can see me. And I was desperately scrambling around to do something good, something significant, in order to be seen by my Father in heaven. And I realized a lot of things, mainly that I was broken, that I I was just a broken person. I was burnt out. I'd done a whole lot of good stuff, and suddenly I felt like I just wasn't enough. So through prayer and counseling and specifically sozo prayer, God revealed to me that actually I don't need to do all that stuff. God loves me if I'm employed or unemployed. God loves me if I'm in ministry or out of ministry. Before I do anything, before I get out of bed in the morning, I'm loved. And I kept wanting to get up and say, but God, I'll do this, I'll do this, and I'll, I'll engage in this, and I'll do this. He's like, no, no, sit down, sit down, sit down, you're loved, you're loved, you're loved. I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. No, don't get up. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And they took me back to the cross and they're like, have you forgotten about the cross? Have you forgotten that you don't need to earn your salvation? That you don't need to earn your righteousness? That you don't need to earn your justification? Like, I love you before you've done anything. You're made right with me because of the cross. Think about Jesus' baptism. Jesus is being baptized and God the Father saying, this is my son who I love and I'm well pleased. Well pleased. Jesus hadn't done anything. He hadn't walked on water. He hadn't turned water into wine. He hadn't done massive miracles. He hadn't done anything massively amazing. And yet God the Father saying, this is my son who I'm pleased with. I love and I'm well pleased. That's our starting position. The Apostle Paul says in another letter that he writes into Ephesians, he says, you are seated in the heavenly realms. That's your starting point. That's where you start at. You're seated in the heavenlies with God. That's the place that we work out. Of good works, they're great, but it's an outward flow of what we've experienced. 
we, we flow when we do good things because of the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the salvation. We're saved to saved. We're blessed to bless. It's an outward flow of what we've experienced rather than a way of trying to earn salvation, justification, and righteousness with God. That's what it looks like for me. It looked like something different for others. And we know our work context. We know our family context. We know our brokenness. We know how we try and strive sometimes to be seen by God or to be seen by others or to find our worth, our acceptance, to be made right in the eyes of others or in the eyes of God. When God's saying, look at the cross. I love you already. I love you. My grace is enough. I'm going to invite Mark to jump up, and Mark's going to say, what does it look like for him? Because this is a key verse for Mark as well, and something that he's journeyed with. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, so I, um, I grew up... In You're not on? Yeah, don't think it's working. Let's try this one. Oh, there we go. There you go. So, I grew up in uh, the south side of Glasgow, and there's something about grace, and there's something about this passage here, which really strikes me as someone that grew up here. Um, it paid really, really well to grow up being really, really nice and to um, do really good things as a Christian when I grew up. And the, the way that looked like for me was just showing up, being always positive, being always trying to be encouraging, being always busy. And I strived and I strived and I strived and I just had this constant need to do things for God. And there was something about the, the context I grew up in which was high on grace, I thought. It was, high, it was all about the cross, it was all about Jesus. But there was no point where I'd stopped and just taken it in. And the, the flip side of always trying and always pushing, always striving to be better and to, to grow in this is that I failed all the time and it just created this sort of cloud of guilt, like you could just wake up with a, an ambient guilt hanging around. In our context, um, God didn't encourage us with good stories, he challenged us. Someone would say an amazing testimony and they'd get up and go, wow, wasn't that so challenging? Wasn't that so challenging? And a few years later, I ended up down in Australia and some friends of mine just started to talk about grace all the time. And they were just banging on about it to the point where I think, I think one night I came back on the bus and I was like, would you just shut up about grace? <laughs> we were in Bible college at the time. <laughs> and it grated on me. I'm like, why does that grate on me? I know Jesus. I know the cross. But something about grace bugs me. And it's because it pushes against so much of what um, my culture and my decisions had made. It pushes against a decision whether I want to be under the agreement with Christ or like the Galatians had fallen back to their old agreements with works and with effort, with striving and with the law. And I began to think, well, this is too good to be true. Like I've been a Christian probably 20 years at this time. And I'm like, God, no, 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 this is too good. This grace is too much. I can't have that. And I went down to this beach one day and I had this book I was reading. I was about to like throw my book in the sea and I was getting all dramatic with, all, with God. And I just was like, God, I can't, I can't figure this out. Like I feel like there's some story about grace which is beyond me. 
And I just can't get this. I was holding on to my old way. And in that moment, I, I just felt God say, just look to Jesus. And literally, like a, a beam of sun hit out through the cloud. I just felt that so strongly. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. That would be enough. I went back and um, I did that super spiritual thing of flicking through the Bible and landing anywhere. And I literally like flunked the Bible open and it landed in Galatians 3 in this passage. And it started with, you foolish Galatians. Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? After starting with Jesus and starting with grace, are you going back? So this passage changed my life significantly. I think it caught something that our culture held up for years. Mm. And it removed that. And it, I think it positioned me probably was when I first met Jesus <laughs> for the fullest time. Thanks, man. Amazing. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark. It's great. You know, I find myself obviously in ministry doing good stuff. But now it's different. As I've re-entered ministry, I'm not defined by it. It's not where I find my worth. I find my worth, my value, through the cross and through Jesus and how he sees me. I wanted Mark to do that because we talked about that this week. And he was saying, this is such a key passage for me. And for us, I can't really speak into Scotland that much. But Mark said, this is something that actually, as a people, actually, it's something that we just need to hear. We need to hear the grace. We need to hear the thing that God is the one who brings forgiveness and salvation do a whole lot of good stuff, which is great, but let it be an outflow from our heart. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3 verse 1, he wants to remind the people that before their very eyes, Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. He's pointing their eyes to Jesus. Some of the Galatians may have seen it firsthand, they may have looked at it, but for others, it's about Paul actually communicating and preaching Jesus crucified. And he uses uh, this phrase, it's a Greek word, it's prographian. And he says basically that Jesus was prographian, it was basically mean it's a placard in public, it's to display publicly. So he was saying that I have publicly displayed Jesus as crucified. A little bit like a placard or a whole lot of banners and posters on a wall. A placard is something that is displayed. It's like it was clearly presented before you that Jesus was crucified. So why would you wander from that? Why would you go from that? It has everything that you need. We're going to invite the band to come up. They're going to come and play. I'm going to invite us all. We've been sitting for, for 20 minutes or plus. And if you're able to, just to stand uh, with me, that would be great. We're going to go through a short reflection on the cross, and it's part of our response. It's part of our reflection as we fix our eyes on Jesus. And just as the, uh, we started in the story, Max Lucada wants to point Ian back to the cross. The Apostle Paul wants to point the Galatians back to the cross. My hope, my prayer is that we are pointed back to the cross and that we see the cross again, that we experience the love the freedom from all that striving to be accepted and seen, to be justified and made right, that we're free from that, that we experience his love, his acceptance, his justification, his righteousness this morning. Please stand if you can, that'd be great.
And Luke... Lucy's going to play, and I'm going to speak um, over, over Lucy's uh, piano playing, um, and I'm going to lead us through this little time of reflection. So you don't have to do this, but it, it might help. But we might just close our eyes as a way of focusing where we're going. And just be aware of the weight of your body and your feet as you stand in the place where you're standing. So come, Holy Spirit, focus our minds. Let us fix our eyes on you, Jesus. Reveal the cross to us afresh and the freedom it brings and the striving, trying to earn your love. Come, Lord Jesus. Open our eyes wider, we pray. I want you to picture yourself in Calvary. Just feel the sun on your face. The dusty streets that you find yourself in. As people are calling out and shouting out out of their windows, leaning over walls. And you find yourself seeing a crowd of people that are gathered in a circle. And your heart begins to beat fast as you're drawn towards the crowd. And you want to know what's going on. What is all this commotion that's happening? You push past the people and you lean in and you see in the center of the circle a man on his knees, broken and bleeding. His claws are torn, his beard is torn, pulled out. And you think, what has this man done to deserve such treatment? What has this man done? They call out abuse and they shout and hurl insults at this man. And your heart is breaking for him as he's in so much pain. They help him to his feet. And one man brings a big piece of wood and they slam it on his back. And the man screams out in pain. They make him walk up a hill and again you're intrigued so you follow and you push past the crowd. Your heart is pounding as you're following this broken man carrying a piece of wood on his back and you journey with him to the top of the hill. Again, there's a crowd waiting for him. They're shouting insults. They're hurling abuse at him. They now lay him down. And as he screams out in pain, as the wood is touching his raw, open wounds of his back, they begin to drive nails into his wrists and into his hands. And again, the man screams out in pain. What has this man done to deserve such punishment? They hoist him up. They lift him up. So he's publicly displayed before everybody there. He's pinned to the wood. And you're aware of the blood that's flowing from his hands down his head. And as you make your way towards the cross, you push past the crowds And you stand at the foot of the cross. I just want you to imagine 
his broken body there, the wood, the dirt, the agony. And it's as if as you stare at the cross, it's as if everybody else disappears. It's just you and him. It's just you and him. And as your eyes go from the foot of the cross, up his body to his broken torso, to the blood that's flowing from his head, you look him in the eyes. And it's as if he's staring into your heart. He sees you. He sees you. He sees you. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows what's going on in your marriage. He knows what's going on in your relationships. He knows your anxieties, your hopes, your fears, your dreams. He sees you. Just hold that moment. Just hold that moment. As you picture Jesus there, and it's just the two of you, He's beginning to mouth something to you. He wants to speak to you now. And as you lean in, and as you begin to read his lips, he says, he says these four words to you. As he's looking you in the eye, he says, this is for you. This is for you. This is for you. For the forgiveness of your sin for forgiveness, for freedom, for salvation, for righteousness. This is for you. I just encourage you just to take a step back from the cross. Publicly see the crucified Christ that Paul is talking about. The one who, yes, died for the world. Yes, died for everyone in it. But yes, died for you, for your sin. That you may be set free from it all.